0: Hello and welcome to the third and final episode of our podcast series about the Capgemini and MIT research report, lifting the lead on corporate innovation in the digital age. I'm Didier Bonnet, Executive Vice President of the Capgemini Invent, and it's my pleasure to say that this year Capgemini and MIT are celebrating the 10th anniversary of our research collaboration. In previous episodes, we looked both at the digital trends and the architecture needed for successful innovation. I'm joined again today by my two special guests, and together we are going to examine the topic of how externally developed capabilities and skills can be brought into a large corporation in the medium to long term. So, hi Neil, hi Carol, please introduce yourself.
1: Thanks, Dudye. So my name is Neil Thompson. I'm an innovation researcher at MIT. Um, I'm currently in the computer science and AI lab and in the initiative on the digital economy. But before that, I was over at MIT Sloan uh, School of Management. And before I got into academia, I was a management consultant as well.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Carol Bitter. I lead the innovation and strategy practice at Capgemini Invent and Fahrenheit 212, our innovation consulting arm here in the UK. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you both. So following the, the previous episodes where we first discussed um, what, what the big trends were in innovation in the digital age, and then uh, the last episode we discussed the innovation architecture and really highlighted the need for new capabilities. This episode we're going to explore really how can we access those capabilities and how, in particular, can we bring them back in our large organization. So Neil, why is bringing back these uh, capabilities important and and
1: what are companies doing about it? Thanks, Didier. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the remarkable things that we, we talked about in the previous episode is there's just been this big growth in the use of external innovation sources. So people are starting to use startups and uh, go to universities and crowd and things like this, and they're starting to say, okay, we're going to source innovation from those as well. But we also saw that firms are not giving up their internal innovation sources, right? They still say overwhelmingly the most important innovations they have are coming internally, and so that's that's sort of an interesting contrast that we have this expansion. And I think that some of the results of our research actually give us a sense of why this is happening. And I think it's because when you actually do these innovations internally, you tend to get more competitive advantage. And so, in particular, we asked that of our respondents of these 300 companies that we surveyed, and they said, "Look, when we do an innovation externally," About 60% of the time, the innovation that comes from that gives us a persistent advantage in the market, which is, you know, not too bad. 60% is, is a good start. But then they said, but if we do that innovation internally, actually 87% of the time we get a persistent advantage, right? And I think that's the answer, right? It's being able to more reliably get a good competitive advantage coming out of doing innovation. I think is the, the thing that's most valuable here. And I think it makes sense why this would be true, right? You can imagine that if you say, well, I'm going to partner with a startup or a university, that that, you know, they also tend to be working with other people who are in the market. And so you might get an interesting innovation, but so might your competitors. And that's going to give you less of a competitive advantage. And so from the point of view of the firm, you might say, well, actually, I would like to bring capabilities internally so that when we discover something exciting that can improve the, our product offering, that's actually something that we get and it gives us a differential advantage against our competitors.
2: Yeah, I think I think competitive advantages is are the key two words there. Um, because I've seen a real shift. I think if you think about some of these emerging technologies like AI, 5G, IoT, Uh, I think the full power of these technologies are, are just now emerging. I think before they were kind of at the periphery of, of businesses and their business models. Um, but now companies are seeing them as integral. And, and with that then comes the willingness to, um, not the willingness and more so than the necessity to bring them in-house, um, really understand, um, and, and begin to leverage them, um, for their, for their own competitive advantage.
0: Interesting point, Carol, because, you know, we're talking about technologies or at least digital technology that provide massive opportunities, but they're incredibly complex. I mean, we're talking IoT uh, implementations are many, many, many different technologies sort of weave together. We're talking about machine learning, which, Neil, you're, you're, you're very much into, which is really rare and very expensive capabilities. So how how do we internalize those capabilities over time, understanding that, you know, as Neil pointed out, you'll get a bigger advantage if you can somehow shift them internally. But how, how is that done?
2: Well, I mean, just before we jump into that, I think one of the thing that's interesting is I think in the past, there's been a little bit of a disconnect between um, the value that these uh, emerging technologies offered your current business. You're right, they're very, very complex. And I think... I think in some ways companies were using the wrong use cases. It was almost like a a little, a a hammer to, to, to a nut kind of analogy. Um, but I think now as they're shifting their business model, they're harnessing the full potential of these technologies and therefore the value, um, the value flows. But I think in just in terms of, you know, how do you acquire them? I think, um, historically, I I think everyone will be familiar with, uh, uh, I've seen all sorts of combinations and we support our clients in them, whether it's in hiring and kind of building behind talent. Uh, which has you know advantages and disadvantages whether it's through acquisition um whether it's through uh partnering uh, joint venturing or whether it's through a, a more of an approach towards open innovation but i think i think where most companies are really grappling is not just in where the sources are but how to translate that competency into a competency because it's not really a competency if, if until it's really well understood within the company and understood how to leverage and i think that's the that's the shift that we're going through at the moment.
0: We've seen good examples. I remember in, in, in the research where, where we've seen people uh, that really were taking um, scientists, which, which uh, were not on, on the data analytics side, but actually reskilling them to be extremely uh, proficient uh, uh, research scientists. So there is a way that you can also beef up the internal capabilities, right?
1: Yeah, that's right, and I and I think you often want to do sort of a a double barrel approach to this problem, right? So I think that it's just as you were saying, I think you can have these internal training programs, and we definitely saw that in some of the examples in our data where firms were saying like, we are going to train up some of our own internal people, give them more skills in machine learning or something like that, and to do that. But I think what we also see is that particularly initially, if you don't have those skills, you often need to reach out to an external partner to get them, right? And so, you know, we see particularly for digital projects, the ones that are being outsourced are particularly the ones where firms say they have particularly poor capabilities. And so I think the, the combination of these two things is probably even more powerful than um, putting them together. So in one of the previous episodes, we talked about this idea that, for example, when you work with a university, you tend to mix your resources with them. Your innovators, your scientists work with their innovators and scientists. And so I think that's probably also a way that you can sort of build your own capabilities is... As you're training your people, maybe you're having them do like online courses or stuff. But then you're also interacting them with the people who are at the forefront of the field, so that they can help to learn and get to that frontier themselves. And then, of course, you know what we often see from universities is that once uh, firms have worked with students, they then will hire those students later. And of course, that's another way to bring some of that talent internally.
0: Yes, and I think you raise you raise a very big point that that came out strongly uh, uh, f- from the data, but also from from the interview was this notion of how do you avoid isolation? You know, when you work with external partners, where you have, uh, you know, one or two people that are working with them, but it doesn't actually uh, translate into the core of the operation. So this notion of cross staffing and and and, uh, and really uh, meshing your capabilities and the capabilities you're trying to acquire is is incredibly important. And, and the other thing that that surprised me was, uh, 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 what was didn't surprise me that much, but it, but it was interesting was was to see how many people are actually starting to partner, and then as the partnership works really well, actually acquire those smaller firms, uh, not because of the companies and the financial aspect, but more because of the capabilities. And we saw, uh, I think, in the article that we published, where there is an example about McDonald, which I think they made a couple of pretty strategic acquisitions because uh, they understood the need to really internalize uh, those capabilities over time.
1: That's right. And that, that idea of an acqui hire, right? Uh, acquisition to hire is a, um, is a way that I think you can also sometimes get access to some people who you might, you know, some, some firms are going to find that it's, it's hard for them to go directly on the market and recruit, for example, the top machine learning talent. But those people might join a startup and then you might be able to acquire the startup and it, and, you know, at least for a while be able to have some of the really excellent talent at the frontier brought inside the firm to help you solve problems.
2: And I've even seen, um, we're, I'm, I'm working with a client at the moment that's willing to, once they understand and then they make the, they make the commitment that, that this is essential to their, their future strategy, um, foregoing a little bit of the speed sometimes that they want to go at in order to uh, start to bring that in-house, um, which I think is, is always a really tough um, call to make.
0: So so that really what, what what that tells me is that you know we we, we when we started looking at what firms actually do, uh, I think one of the things that came out loud and clear is how you need to spend a lot of time right up front, not just saying, you know we need a few data scientists or or we need some AI skills," but really going down to granular level to identify what the skills what skills are going to make a difference uh, to your to your business model or to your future and and it's not the same for every company and it's not the same for every industry and then now we are in in the third episode saying basically you know once you've isolate that, you must never lose track of of how to actually internalize those capabilities, so it means that your 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 architecture but also uh, which was the, the topic of the second episode, was really also built to not only partner and work closely with these companies, but also always keep an eye on how you can reintegrate those skill sets uh, into your organization. Because as you, as Neil has pointed out, the competitive advantage uh, becomes uh, longer and stronger if you do that.
1: Right. And, and, and I, I would add maybe one, one sort of uh, caveat to that, which is that it's... You know, you need to make not only do you need to look out and say, here are the capabilities that are on the frontier of knowledge, like which are the ones that I want to bring bring into the firm, but you have to say you have to think about that with a strategic lens. You have to say where do we want to differentiate? Right. Those are the areas where we really need to go out and get those skills and bring them in house because we want to be able to differentiate there. You know, you may also decide there's some areas where you say like this is cutting edge technology, but it would actually cost us a lot of money, and we're perfectly happy to just have that be sort of industry standard because we want to differentiate in a different area. And so it's not only sort of being aware of the technology, but how that interacts with your strategy so that you can actually plot a course where you have the skills you want and the skills that you don't need are ones that you can say, okay, well, that I, we know that that's not an area we're going to differentiate in, so we're not going to invest there.
2: I couldn't agree more. I, I, I recall working with an auto manufacturer Who, you know, was looking for 50% of the revenues outside of the car. And they were looking at things, you know, in terms of innovation, they were looking at innovation platforms like IoT, autonomous car, you know, rise of access over ownership, et cetera. Um, And I think what we had to, we had to come to a mutual understanding with these are the drivers of disruption. These are the technologies, but this is not where your competitive differentiation lies, right? And that kind of loops this full circle back to, to ensuring that you have a point of view on, on where the future is going and what your role in that future is because it won't be the same as it is today.
0: Well, thank you very much. Uh, That's all we have time for uh, in this final episode. So thank you uh, very much again to Neil and Carol for for joining me in this discussion and thank you all for listening. I hope you have found this series interesting. Thanks, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks everyone. And don't forget to learn more about the research. You can download the full copy of the joint report with the MIT from our website at capgemini.com. Thank you again for listening.